Section 19 of Bullfinch's The Legends of Charlemagne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Age of Charlemagne by Thomas Bullfinch. Section 19. Rogero and Bradamante. Part 2. Meanwhile, tidings arrived of King Charles's decree that whoever aspired to the hand of Bradamante must first encounter her with sword and lance. This news made the Grecian prince turn pale, for he knew he was no match for her in fight. Communing with himself, he sees how he may make his wit supply the place of valor, and employ the French knight, whose name was still unknown to him, to fight the battle for him. Rogero heard the proposal with extreme distress, yet it seemed worse than death to deny the first request of one to whom he owed his life. Hastily he gave his assent, to do in all things that which Leo should command. Afterward, bitter repentance came over him, yet rather than confess his change of mind, death itself would be welcome. Death seems his only remedy, but how to die? Sometimes he thinks to make none but a feigned resistance, and allow her sword a ready access, for never can death come more happily than if her hand guide the weapon. Yet this will not avail, for unless he wins the maid for the Greek prince, his debt remains unpaid." he had promised to maintain a real, not a feigned encounter. He will then keep his word, and banish every thought from his bosom except that which moved him to maintain his truth. The young prince, richly attended, set out, and with him Rogero. They arrived at Paris, but Leo preferred not to enter the city, and pitched his tents without the walls, making known his arrival to Charlemagne by an embassy. The monarch was pleased, and testified his courtesy by visits and gifts. The prince set forth the purpose of his coming, and prayed the emperor to dispatch his suit, to send forth the damsel who refused ever to take in wedlock any lord inferior to herself in fight, for she should be his bride, or he would perish beneath her sword. Rogero passed the night before the day assigned for the battle, like that which the felon spends, condemned to pay the forfeit of his life on the ensuing day. He chose to fight with sword only, and on foot, for he would not let her see Frontino knowing that she would recognize the steed. Nor would he use Balisarda, for against that enchanted blade all armor would be of no avail, and the sword that he did take he hammered well upon the edge to abate its sharpness. He wore the surcoat of Prince Leo, and his shield, emblazoned with a golden, double-headed eagle. The prince took care to let himself be seen by none. Bradamant, meanwhile, prepared herself for the combat far differently. Instead of blunting the edge of her falchion, she wets the steel, and would fain infuse into it her own acerbity. As the moment approached, she seemed to have fire within her veins, and waited impatiently for the trumpet's sound. At the signal she drew her sword, and fell with fury upon her rogero. But as a well-built wall or aged rock stands unmoved, the fury of the storm, so rogero, clad in those arms which Trojan Hector once wore, withstood the strokes which stormed about his head and breast and flank. Sparks flew from his shield, his helm, his cuirass, from direct and back strokes, aimed now high, now low, falling thick and fast, like hailstones on a cottage roof. But Rogero, with skilful ward, turns them aside, or receives them where his armor is a sure protection, careful only to protect himself, and with no thought of striking in return. Thus the hours passed away, and as the sun approached the west, the damsel began to despair. But so much the more her anger increases, and she redoubles her efforts, 
like the craftsman who sees his work unfinished while the day is well nigh spent. O oh, miserable damsel, didst thou know whom thou wouldst kill? If in that cavalier matched against thee thou didst but know Rogero, on whom thy very life threats hang, rather than kill him thou wouldst kill thyself, for he is dearer to thee than life. Charles and the peers, who thought the cavalier to be the Grecian prince, viewing such force and skill exhibited, and how without assaulting her the knight defended himself, were filled with admiration, and declared the champions well matched, and worthy of each other. When the sun was set, Charlemagne gave the signal for terminating the contest, and Bradamant was awarded to Prince Leo as a bride. Rogero, in deep distress, returned to his tent. There Leo unlaced his helmet, and kissed him on both cheeks. Henceforth, said he, do with me as you please, for you cannot exhaust my gratitude. Rogero replied little, laid aside the ensigns he had worn, and resumed the unicorn, then hasted to withdraw himself from all eyes. When it was midnight he rose, saddled Frontino, and sallied from his tent, taking that direction which pleased his steed. All night he rode absorbed in bitter woe, and called on death as alone capable of relieving his sufferings. At last he entered a forest, and penetrated it into its deepest recesses. There he unharnessed Frontino, and suffered him to wander where he would. Then he threw himself down on the ground, and poured forth such bitter wailings that the birds and beasts, for none else heard him, were moved to pity with his cries. Not less was the distress of the lady Bradamant, who, rather than wed any one but Rogero, resolved to break her word, and defy kindred, court, and Charlemagne himself, and if nothing else would do, to die. But relief came from an unexpected quarter. Marfisa, sister of Rogero, was a heroine of warlike prowess equal to Bradamant. She had been the confidant of their loves, and felt hardly less distressed than themselves at seeing the perils which threatened their union. "'They are already united by mutual vows,' she said, "'and in the sight of heaven what more is necessary?' Full of this thought she presented herself before Charlemagne, and declared that she herself was witness that the maiden had spoken to Rogero those words which they who marry swear, and that the compact was so sealed between the pair that they were no longer free, nor could forsake the one the other to take another spouse.' This her assertion she offered to prove, in single combat, against Prince Leo or any one else. Charlemagne, sadly perplexed at this, commanded Bradamant to be called, and told her what the bold Marfisa had declared. Bradamant neither denied nor confirmed the statement, but hung her head and kept silence. Duke Aymon was enraged, and would fain have set aside the pretended contract on the ground that, if made at all, it must have been made before Rogero was baptized, and therefore void. But not so, thought Rinaldo, nor the good Orlando, and Charlemagne knew not which way to decide, when Marfisa spoke thus. Since no one else can marry the maiden while my brother lives, let the prince meet Rogero in mortal combat, and let him who survives take her for his bride. This saying pleased the emperor, and was accepted by the prince, for he thought that, by the aid of his unknown champion, he should surely triumph in the fight. Proclamation was therefore made for Rogero to appear and defend his suit, and Leo, on his part, caused search to be made on all sides for the knight of the unicorn. Meanwhile Rogero, overwhelmed with despair, lay stretched on the ground in the forest night and day without food, courting death. Here he was discovered by one of Leo's people, who, finding him resist all attempts to remove him, hastened to his master, who was not far off, and brought him to the spot. As he approached he heard words which convinced him that love was the cause of the knight's despair, 
but no clue was given to guide him to the object of that love. Stooping down, the prince embraced the weeping warrior, and in the tenderest accents said, Spare not, I entreat you, to disclose the cause of your distress, for few such desperate evils betide mankind as are wholly past cure. It grieves me much that you would hide your grief from me, for I am bound to you by ties that nothing can undo. Tell me then your grief, and leave me to try if wealth, art, cunning, force, or persuasion cannot relieve you. If not, it will be time enough, after all has been tried in vain, to die. He spoke in such moving accents that Rogero could not choose but to yield. It was some time before he could command utterance. At last, he said, My lord, when you shall know me for what I am, I doubt not you, like myself, will be content that I should die. Know then, I am that Rogero whom you have so much cause to hate, and who so hated you that, intent on putting you to death, he went to seek you at your father's court. This I did because I could not submit to see my promised bride borne off by you. But as man proposes and God disposes, your great courtesy, well tried in time of sore need, so moved my fixed resolve, that I not only laid aside the hate I bore, but purposed to be your friend forever. You then asked of me to win for you the Lady Bradamant, which was all one as to demand of me my heart and soul. You know whether I served you faithfully or not. Yours is the lady, possess her in peace, but ask me not to live to see it. Be content rather that I die, for vows have passed between myself and her which forbid that, while I live, she can lawfully wive with another. So filled was the gentle Leo with astonishment at these words, that for a while he stood silent, with lips unmoved and steadfast gaze, like a statue. And the discovery that the stranger was Rogero not only abated not the good will he bore him, but increased it, so that his distress for what Rogero suffered seemed equal to his own. For this, and because he would appear deservedly an emperor's son, and though in other things outdone, would not be surpassed in courtesy, he says, Rogero, had I known that day when your matchless valor routed my troops that you were Rogero, your virtue would have made me your own, as then it made me while I knew not my foe, and I should have no less gladly rescued you from Theodora's dungeon. And if I would willingly have done so then, how much more gladly will I now restore the gift of which you would rob yourself to confer it upon me? The damsel is more due to you than to me, and though I know her worth, I would forgo not only her, but life itself, rather than distress a knight like you. This and much more he said to the same intent, till at last Rogero replied, I yield, and am content to live, and thus a second time owe my life to you. But several days elapsed before Rogero was so far restored as to return to the royal residence, where an embassy had arrived from the Bulgarian princes to seek the knight of the unicorn, and tender to him the crown of that country, in place of their king, fallen in battle. Thus were things situated when Prince Leo, leading by the hand Rogero, clad in the battered armor in which he had sustained the conflict with Bradamant, presented himself before the king. Behold, he said, the champion who maintained from dawn to setting sun the arduous contest. He comes to claim the guerdon of the fight. King Charlemagne, with all his peerage, stood amazed, for all believed that the Grecian prince himself had fought with Bradamant. Then stepped forth Marfisa, and said, Since Rogero is not here to assert his rights, I, his sister, undertake his cause, and will maintain it against whoever shall dare dispute his claim. She said this with so much anger and disdain that the prince deemed it no longer wise to feign, and withdrew Rogero's helmet from his brow, saying, Behold him here, 
and withdrew Rogero's helmet from his brow, saying, Behold him here. Who can describe the astonishment and joy of Marfisa? She ran and threw her arms about her brother's neck, nor would give way to let Charlemagne and Rinaldo, Orlando, Dudon, and the rest, who crowded round, embrace him, and press friendly kisses on his brow. The joyful tidings flew fast by many a messenger to Bradamant, who in her secret chamber lay lamenting. The blood that stagnated about her heart flowed at that notice so fast that she had well-nigh died for joy. Duke Aymon and the Lady Beatrice no longer withheld their consent, and pledged their daughter to the brave Ruggiero before all that gallant company. Now came the Bulgarian ambassadors, and kneeling at the feet of Ruggiero, besought him to return with them to their country, where, in Adrianople, the crown and scepter were awaiting his acceptance. Prince Leo united his persuasions to theirs, and promised in his royal father's name that peace should be restored on their part. Ruggiero gave his consent, and it was surmised that none of the virtues which shone so conspicuously in him so availed to recommend Ruggiero to the Lady Beatrice, as the hearing her future son-in-law saluted as a sovereign prince. End of section 19